This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Welcome to Raw Beauty Talks. I'm your host, Erin Trelore. Ready to peer behind the highlight reel and all those polished pictures of the world's biggest influencers and wellness experts, we're going to uncover what beauty, health, and wellness truly means in today's world. As someone who really struggled with disordered eating and negative body image, I became a health coach because I'm passionate about redefining health and wellness so that it's less about the weight on the scale and more about how we feel. Let's pull back the curtain for some raw beauty talks. You've likely seen today's guest on a billboard or the side of a bus, maybe even when you were purchasing underwear at Aerie. She is absolutely incredible. Somebody I've been waiting to have on the podcast since we started. Her name is Iskra Lawrence. She is a supermodel, but also so much more than a model. She is somebody who has used her voice to change an entire industry, to really rally for body positivity, body acceptance, and matters like race and inclusion and creating space for women to show up fully in the world. Today, Iskra and I sat down in our sweatpants as two moms, just fitting it in to talk about finding confidence, even in the face of rejection, why she hates the term, you have to see it to believe you can be it, her experience with motherhood and breastfeeding, how to navigate feelings of overwhelm amidst so much world turmoil, what she hopes will change by the time her little one has grown, and most importantly, perhaps... (laughs) what word she would have tattooed on her ass if she had to get a word tattooed on her ass. This is Iskra Lawrence. Welcome to the freaking show. I'm so happy to have you here. Yes, thank you for giving me your time and your space and your platform um, to get raw and real. (laughs) I want to start it all off by talking about your story and your journey. I feel like you exploded onto the scene, this overnight success a few years ago. Can you bring us back to the beginning? Where are you from? What was your childhood like? How did you become this supermodel? Still find that term bizarre because of where I came from. Um, I'm from Kidderminster, England, which I fortunately have a a comparison, which I don't want to offend anyone because it shouldn't be offensive, but I call it the Ohio of England. You know, maybe not the biggest destination that people go to, but like just a nice place in the middle. I guess I just had this drive from a very young age. I remember by the age of kind of 10 being pretty obsessed with the US music and entertainment and obviously fashion. It felt like my opportunities were very limited where I was from. So I knew I had to move and figure that out. So I entered a competition called L Girl Search for Supermodel and I got through to the finals, but I didn't win. And again, it's probably the best life lesson, right? Like I didn't win, so nothing was easy. I got down to the finals. I got scouted on set of this shoot by an amazing uh, model agent who also scouted Kate Moss. And like, it was a big deal at the time. And I was like, um, but I was so young. So they put me on a models to watch board because legally I couldn't kind of work yet. So I was doing things called test shoots where you go and you um, 
kind of creatively get together with photographers and you try different looks and different poses and you kind of build your confidence um, or meant to build your confidence, ironically, did the opposite. But I also got little runways and, you know, got to practice my walk and understand kind of that side of the industry. And when I was about 15, I did a runway show and became apparent really quick that every sample that the stylist kind of had for me or for all the models, because essentially it was one sample size and we were all meant to fit and I couldn't fit into any of them. I was trying to like disappear into the corner because I was so scared and I'm basically naked just with my underwear on in front of a room full of people who are much older than me and much more experienced and the stylist turned around and made a huge deal of it and essentially body shamed me publicly in front of my peers, in front of people I wanted to obviously impress or at least, you know, kind of get to their level. And it was super humiliating. And I ended up just wearing the coats. So instead of walking the fashion show and wearing the gowns and wearing all the beautiful things, I just was like putting these coats, three coats. And I remember my parents like referencing it after as well and noticing. And that really was where it spiraled out of control because I don't know if it was fed back, but anywho, my agency had been consistently checking my measurements by, you know, every centimeter. And as I was hitting puberty, turning into a woman around 15, I got some hips. I got some booty, which is great. Now I'm, I love my curves, but at the time it was just devastating. I hated that I didn't have control over my body and what it was doing. And you're trying to figure out who you are and, you know, what you want to be and what you want to do. And I was kind of in it and it was immediately just kind of taken away from me because of my size. So I essentially just started a war against myself. Um, And I was like, I have to be the skinniest I can be because that will be my key to success. I did everything I could. I tried every one of those horrific unhealthy diets because that's all you have access to right the information you have especially back then the headlines of those magazines lose 10 pounds in a week you know don't eat any carbs ever and try the Beyonce lemonade maple syrup cayenne pepper diet all of those things and you know I don't know about you but I felt like at high school a lot of girls were feeling the same way in their bodies and really skinny was everything back then it was your self-worth it was your popularity it was everything it became my purpose you know my obsession so it's just really sad because I lost a lot of time years kind of dedicating my energy to that pursuit and obviously nothing good comes from that especially when you're just looking at yourself and being unkind and you can only see it as your success or your failure so it obviously became tiring to live, you know, and and constantly be hungry and unhappy and feel like I was failing. So I got to the point where um, I kind of found other routes. I started to do flyering and I started to do promotional work where I worked for, you know, different brands where I was more than just obviously trying to fit into the sample size. Still, my goal was to be a model though. And I remember I went to a college fashion show one time and I was walking And I was with like local agencies, which most of the industry would look down on and be like, oh, they're not legitimate, which in a way is true because I did actually get screwed over by one. There isn't a lot of safety in the modeling industry. That's what's one thing that's really devastating. A lot of girls get taken advantage of. But I got to a point, I was at this college fashion show and I remember this girl said to me, have you ever heard of plus size modeling? I was like, absolutely not. What's that? And she said, well, in America, 
there's all these amazing models. You know, there was the Ashleys and Tara Lynns and Robin Lawleys on the cover of Vogue Italia and Candice Huffine doing these beautiful editorials. And I saw it and I was like, wait, what? Like these are goddesses, look at them. And they can be that size and be models. Like to me, it was literally mind blown because I'd been told that there was one option. I saw this and I was just like, wow, okay. If they're open-minded to that, they should be open-minded to me too. I might not be plus size yet. So anyway, I went to the agency that was kind of the best plus size agency in the UK and they said I was too small. And I was just like, I've spent the last five, six years of my life, you know, trying to fit into one standard. I will refuse to try and now put on weight and gain weight to fit into the other. So I was like, I have to change the industry, not myself. So I started self-marketing myself and I was lucky with my timing because social media just started. So I was essentially able to create my own photo shoots and speak up and say, I'm a model. I know that I'm passionate. I know that I work really hard and I can be super creative and I can bring all these different types of looks. Here is me creating. Now I just need to convince the client that they should hire me And it doesn't have to be over someone else, but just as well as, right? Mm. I I loved the idea of just a rainbow of different types of bodies and abilities and races and sizes and shapes. And so I was very lucky. I had a great agent that also believed in the same thing. And he said, we're going to change this. We're going to find clients that are open to having essentially like an in-betweeny model and we kind of were like, we're going to create a movement. Let's disrupt the fashion industry. And it was really, really special. And he's always fought for that, my agent Gary at JAG. And it started by me posting about it. And what happened was people got behind it, right? Because who doesn't get behind someone being open and vulnerable saying, I had an eating disorder because I felt like I had to fit into a certain type of ideal. And I don't want to do that. I want to change the structure rather than change myself. So I realized that Photoshop was a huge damaging part of the industry that had hurt me and continued to hurt me and continued to increase my body dysmorphia because I would see images of myself that didn't actually look like me in real life, which only made it harder for me as I was recovering from an eating disorder and figuring out how to love myself. Photoshop was a huge part of me kind of getting triggered in a way because someone else would take an image of me and decide that I wasn't perfect enough and then start airbrushing me smoothing my skin making my thighs smaller doing all these tweaks and da 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 da. and I get these images back and you're like wow I still don't feel good enough so Mm. I decided I was like that's it I'm not photoshopping my images which is not ideal because there is a lot of places that um, will refuse to work with you if you don't just kind of like be the blank canvas and I was vocal Oh, you know, my agent was very much like, oh, I gave the middle finger up on a video to a troll. Like I just wasn't (laughs) like the norm. And I was like, no, but Gary, I'm not trying to impress the fashion industry or the gatekeepers. I want to get the people behind me. Mm -hmm. And guess what? They are the people that buy the product from the brands. So if the people love me and want to see me and want to believe in, you know, what I'm creating as a mission and what I'm trying to change they will therefore then shop at the brand because that brand also aligns with that. And it all kind of came together when Aerie happened. Um, And Aerie launched the Aerie Real campaign and I came on board as their kind of like curviest model yet. I talked to them about my mission and 
how finally I found this brand that I felt like completely aligned and the fact that they didn't want to Photoshop. And I was like, this is everything. And essentially we both just went viral and it was a beautiful seven years of just constantly kind of challenging the norms and building this movement and just so so it's it's incredible to now look back and see because obviously what happens is Ari wanted to to bring in more models like me so it meant that more agencies were like oh look at Iskra she's getting booked we should hire more models her size so now I go and look at these agencies books and there is just plethoral of models and it is so beautiful to see and it's so exciting and it can only continue to to grow and, and you know evolve and be even more inclusive Fast forward to the end of 2024. Think of your goals for a second. What can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? If you want to learn a new language, you absolutely should get Babbel. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that really don't help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversation, and Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teachings so you're ready to practice what you learned in the real world. If you're heading to another country, Country anytime soon, start using Babbel a few weeks before you go to learn basics like how to order food, ask for directions, speak to merchants without having to consult language apps while you're away. So fun. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash raw beauty talks. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash raw beauty talks. That's spelled B A B B E L dot com slash talks. Rules and restrictions may apply. This episode is brought to you by Lola V, an award-winning hair care line founded by the fabulous Jennifer Aniston. Jen got tired of the same old struggle we all face, choosing between hair products that work and ones that are actually good for us. With Lola V, that dilemma is history. We all put our hair through the ringer. That's why it's crucial to have products that not only repair the look of the damage, but also shield your locks from future harm. Enter Lola V's bestsellers, the Glossing Detangler and the Perfecting Leave-In Conditioner. They're your hair's new best friend. Friends. For a limited time, you get 15% off your entire order at lolavie.com. Just use the code RAWBEAUTYTALKS at checkout. Lolavie is all about naturally derived plant-based goodness, no silicone, sulfates, parabens, or gluten, and of course, cruelty-free and vegan. That's 15% off your order at lolavie.com with promo code RAWBEAUTYTALKS. You can only use one promo code per order and discounts can't be combined. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them. Tell them I sent you a over. You literally changed an entire industry, more than just the modeling industry and the fashion industry. You, along with Aerie, took down essentially the biggest lingerie company of the time, has literally now had to shift and like eight, nine years later, it's like, oops, oh shit, we are going bankrupt. And when we we missed the mark, I mean, Aerie literally was the falling of Victoria's Secret. And those Victoria's Secret models who are all wonderful women, gorgeous women, this statement has nothing to do with the women. It is the marketing campaign that sold the underwear for that line that literally was one of the biggest 
kind of components or things that fed my own eating disorder. Listening to your story, there are so many parts of it that I just resonate with. I'm going to go way back to the beginning because I also had this dream of modeling at one point. And I'm fascinated to know for you, why do we as young girls want to be models? It's multiple reasons. I'd say the main one is being seen. And then of course, as women, our foundation of how we build our self-worth is valued on attractiveness. From the day we see a Disney princess up until the first time we watch a movie and, of course, the lead female who he falls in love with. And again, I'm talking about, you know, cis-gen relationships. She's an attractive woman, usually white with long, flowy hair and thin, but maybe she's got some nice perky boobs. And, like, there's just there's so much that you have to try and unlearn. I also think that we're a visual animal you know, as humans, especially nowadays, where the things that we view visually by imagery is what can often change our mindset. For example, I couldn't, I don't believe, have done what I did if there hadn't been a physical image of me to explain what I was talking about. If there right. wasn't a physical image of me showing my cellulite, it would have been very hard for me to say, except your cellulite, we all have it. If there wasn't a picture, how would I have done that? So I think that mm. modeling feels like to many of us, I'm a visual representation of whatever I want to talk about, whatever movement I want to create, whatever I want to do. So I think that's why we're so drawn to it. That's so interesting because this is something I often struggle with. My eating disorder was awful. I was hospitalized for three months with it, but I've always been in a tall, thin body. And yet for the modeling industry, it still wasn't enough. And the message I got on those trips to meet agencies was, cute-ish, but boring. Literally, that's the kind of thing that they say to your face. And so I found for me to find a voice and to be able to speak about the things that I want to speak about, I've had to and wanted to share the bodies and photos and images of other women. Because me standing up in my body to talk about this stuff, people are like, middle finger, don't want to hear it from you. And I get that being in a thin body. I recognize I've had so much privilege being the size that I am, being white, a white woman, there's no doubt about that. But I still have had insecurities to the point where I almost died. So it's just like we can never, to your point, be enough in this world if we don't build that confidence from the inside. It's so relative. I mean, eating disorders don't discriminate. They can affect anyone at any time, at any age, from any background. I think that's why, like you, I love what you said there about that representation because it is so important. And, you know, you just have to come to, it's a balance. There are times when I do find myself getting a bit frustrated, but I also then immediately am like, I'm so privileged. I don't have to be the front of everything. I don't have to, but there's things I want to do and things I want to say and things I want to change. And I know my image of you know being white having a, an hourglass figure for example da, 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 like that doesn't represent everyone it just can't yeah. and so you have to create a platform right and you're doing this right now like we're talking with my platform that's actually something that I'm prioritizing right now is figuring out how I can do more and bring more representation onto my platform to showcase that because there's only right. so much you know we can do and I hate the saying if you cannot see you cannot be I really don't like it but it is still real in some sense. I don't like it because I didn't see anyone my size in the modeling industry. 
So if I'd have been like, oh, well, there's no one like me, so there's no point in trying, I never would have gone after it. So I want to encourage people instead, when you don't see yourself represented, maybe you have to be the one to put your hand up. Well, I'm so curious to know because, okay, here's two girls. Both of us go to the modeling agencies. Both of us told no. You continued to press forward to create a space for yourself. I've done that too, but primarily using my voice and actually have pulled myself back from being visible. And over time, I've recognized that I've sort of been hiding my body because it was told that it wasn't right or interesting. So I'm working on showing up more. But I'm curious to know, because for everybody listening, this isn't a conversation about becoming a model. This is a conversation about when we face rejection. So talk to me a bit about the mental space that you were in when you were told no, and how you move forward from there. Yeah, that's a very good question. And I wish I knew the exact answer. Or I wish <laughs> I knew like a step-by-step of that. But I, I have to say I'm very competitive. Ah, Even though I did, I had a body image disorder and I had disordered eating habits, I still weirdly did have some kind of self-confidence. My parents were very, I don't know how they did it, but they just made me feel so independent and so confident and that I could take on the world and I could do anything. And, you know, me and my mom had a turbulent time where she knew I wanted to be a model and she wanted to do whatever she could to kind of help that. Not financially because we didn't have much, but like, can I help you weigh yourself every day. I hope this isn't triggering for anyone. We'll have a trigger warning on this episode, I'm sure. (laughs) Yes. It got to the point where it's like, oh, you shouldn't really leave the house without your concealer on because your spots and acne are looking really bad. All of those things she did because she thought that it was helping me Mm. look more like a model, behave more like a model. We would watch America's Next Top Model and, you know, a lot of advice on that is just terrifying now when I think back it was toxic completely toxic there was so much diet culture surrounding that industry and even just the way my mother's generation I feel for them because they've had 50 years of not knowing that there was another way to think and another way to be and so her trying to unlearn stuff is 10 times harder than me trying to unlearn it because I was still developing into a woman. She's already there. She's already been a mother. She's now moving into different phases of her life. It's just so ingrained in how she communicates with herself, with me. You know, she will still be like, oh, I just really need to drop that 10 pounds before we go on holiday. I'm like, why? You know, it's, it, we try and unpack it, but it's just so hard for her. And she's just like, because it's just what I, you know, it's what I need. And literally her daughter is the face of body acceptance and body love. And yet it's still a struggle. So deeply ingrained. And so it's like, I directly have these conversations with her over and over again. I've seen some breakthroughs, but she's still probably when she sees her friend, Katie going to be like, wow, did you lose weight? Like that's probably (laughs) still going to be the first thing she says, even though I'll be like, remember what we talked about the last 10 years it's so easy to think wow look at her in her bikini and you know there's some women who I follow who have like a lot more roles than me and a lot more cellulite than me and more scars and all of these in my opinion these beautiful kind of like patterns on their body let's call them and wow she's just confident like it felt it feels instantaneous it feels like a final destination and it is totally not that um, and through the different seasons of our life or someone like my mother, it's a long journey to get that. 
you're allowed to have those mindset shifts and mindset changes. And for people that kind of enter into the body acceptance movement, that should mean that we accept people through all of their changes, through all of their evolution, through all of these mind shifts and mindset changes and lifestyle changes. You mentioned this in one of your recent posts in that you sometimes feel like since exploding onto the scene that you've had this responsibility to be this like wholesome, curvy girl and that you sometimes struggle even just seeing photos from before when you were so free to post the sexy photo or like you didn't have these labels or expectations placed on you that sometimes now you'll question whether you can show all these parts of yourself. I feel like that's so relatable. I mean, being a mom of two young kids, it's like, can I be sexy? Can I go out to a club and dance on a table? Because I kind of want to. And also show up and make pancakes in the morning and be an amazing mom. Yeah, there's, I don't want to say it's a regret, but I definitely felt a huge weight being called a role model. And I've definitely stepped away from that now. And just because you're almost setting yourself up for failure, I didn't ask to be a role model that it was something that someone, you know, it was suggested to me that that's what I am. And I really don't want to be anyone's label anymore. And I don't want to, I think it's very hard because every label means something different to other people. So I highly recommend everyone not needing to fit into a label or a category because that's just a definition that you don't need. Because I for sure know that one day I want to be turn up sexy Iskra and that's my definition. (laughs) And the next day I want to be like sleepy lazy Iskra and then the next day I want to be productive boss mom you know that's relatable and can't we be all the things I mean can't we blow out of the box and show up in all the different ways all the Iskras bring it I want to see it all so I feel like I'm getting into that place now and it feels really good and it's so funny because I feel like we often look for other people's reassurance that is it actually okay if I do that? I felt more of that since becoming a mom, for sure. I don't remember having so many questions pre-mom, but I will say social media-wise, I did. Because I I did a lot of meet and greets, and I did a lot of tours on the road where I would go to malls. I went to a lot of malls, and I went to a lot of colleges. And I mean, I would have girls, like moms bring their seven-year-olds and literally mm. ask me questions about like, she doesn't think she's beautiful. Can you help her? And I'm like, whoo, you know, I've, I've had some conversations where no. I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't want to let this seven-year-old down that, you know, and there has, there's been moms that have brought their nine, 10, 11 year olds and been like, she loves following you online. And I'm like, whoo, okay. Like I think so hard. I actually at some point wish I could do a video behind the scenes of how long it takes me when I do one of those posts where it's a bit more lengthy, that takes up so much of my energy and time because I'm like, if I spot just anything and cancel culture is real right now and I'm not scared of being canceled myself, but I am scared of people being hurt. I, I mean, I've, I've had plenty of people that have messaged me and it's always the hardest when I get a message that says, you really disappointed me. And so I try and do what I can to not disappoint people, but I also know that I'm human And I try and tell people that all the time on social media. I'm not perfect. Please don't hold an unrealistic standard for me. That's literally what I tried to break down was this perfected, unrealistic standard of beauty. Don't hold it for me as a human. (laughs) 
It's so hard because we learn from a very young age to be good, pretty, quiet, and not to disappoint. We can't be constantly contorting ourselves and morphing into a million different versions to keep everybody happy because in doing that, we're shrinking ourselves down, not using our voice, and the freaking world is falling apart. So I'm really passionate about this and trying to practice it myself. When am I trying to be something to everyone? So it's something I'm working on. Yeah, and fear... Fear in every realm, in every existence is usually what prevents us from doing something. And that's, I mean, the fact that you're self-aware enough to already be checking in on that is a huge step. What you're talking about as well, when we're talking about social issues, that's huge. And that's why I am anti-cancel culture, because I think it's holding many, many people back from using their voice and imperfectly speaking to a cause or speaking to something Mm -hmm. that's going on in the world. And I just really sit with anything before I post it and the things I do feel really confident in that I just, and that's that gut instinct, right? You just have Mm -hmm. to constantly listen to it. And it's like racial issues. I get to speak to my husband every day. We talk about our son every day about how we're going to raise him and how we're going to explain to him that your mom's white and your dad's black and you are both of the best parts of us and Mm -hmm. how we're going to share that with him on his journey because that's different from my experience and my husband's experience. So that to me is like something I'm fully immersed in, hopefully as understanding as I can be because I'm doing my research, I'm reading the books, I'm speaking to a multitude of different people. But yeah, it the cancel culture of speaking up about, say, a racial issue and someone saying she did it wrong, she used the wrong terminology, she did something wrong and you being cancelled, yeah. that is potentially missing out on a conversation. And You might F it up, but we have to figure out how we can have these conversations and not just immediately cancel someone because that person needs to learn. And I bet you there'll be a hundred more people who see that post or see and think, oh, that's what I would have said too. Or like, oh, I've learned that maybe that's not the way to interpret this or or communicate this. There's a better way. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's definitely a lot of gut instinct on that one, but you got to listen to all those things. I love what you're saying, though, in this moment, in some issues and some causes that you are doing a lot of learning, you're reading, you're understanding, you're reaching out to have conversations with different people, hearing and taking all of that in, and then you'll know when it's time to speak. I was scrolling and People Magazine had a post, it was Ashley Graham with her pregnancy belly. I scrolled down and I was honestly shocked by the comments. I think because when you follow a lot of people in the body positivity world, you start to believe things are changing. People are more accepting. People are more understanding. They're here for it. They want the curves. They're ready to see women in our full glory. And reading the comments in that post, it was people saying things like, at least wear a bikini that fits. Oh, dear God, make it stop. We've seen pregnant women. Why do we need to see this? Go back home. Um, Yes, she's normal, but do we have to see this? I was like, wow, there is still so much work to be done. What are some changes that you're hoping to see in the coming years as you raise your own child? Yeah, I definitely hope that if it can't be implemented in schools, that parents take it on to know that body image and discussing body image, sexuality, gender, pronouns, all of that becomes something that is a norm. Those are just like everyday topics of conversation. It it becomes less of a taboo. It doesn't become shameful. And I think social media will really help with that. 
I think that social media is beautiful because it brings together people from different locations that never would have had the opportunity of connecting and it enables other people who are in a, a cultural bubble to witness and experience and hopefully find empathy for another culture or person mm. and experience. So I'm excited in that sense for social media. I think it should be taught in schools. I think that schools need to keep up with the times when we think about how quick technology is advanced, when we think about how quick and how much social media has influenced our lives from when I was at school, the school curriculum hasn't changed. And it's just unbelievable to me that really that's the same when the whole world has changed. And it's not easy, of course. It's not easy to just change curriculums and da 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 but we have social media so I definitely myself am obviously working on more educational tools and as a mom I definitely want to figure out how I'm really very focused on trying to figure out what did I miss out on or what did I was exposed to that made me feel xyz Absolutely. Okay, we have some incredible questions from our audience. Okay, the first one is from Kat. Hi, Iskra. My name is Kat. I love following along on your motherhood journey. And one question I have for you is, what are your top three self-care tools that you reach for when you're feeling anxious or down or you're grieving? I'm just curious to know what you reach for and why and how does it support you in getting to a more balanced state? Oh. Love that question. And that is so important because for me, motherhood posed the biggest challenge of my life. I think you've heard from my story. I'm a perfectionist. I like control. And it felt like all of that safety and what I was used to just flew out the window. And I, it literally felt like I was in a dark place, lost, like feeling in the dark for like, how do we get out of this? How do I figure out how to succeed? Right because my baby would not stop crying. Love every particle of his being, but goodness gracious, this baby cried 24-7 for the first two and a half months. Biggest tool was setting me and my partner up for success in the sense of like, we said from the beginning, we know that this is going to be messy as hell. We know this isn't going to be perfect. Can we not pretend that it's all roses? And don't judge me and have this really open dialogue where I can literally say, I'm just passing you the baby right now. Can't deal. Need to go cry in the toilet. We had a conversation before we had our baby and we just said, can we just be completely real with each other? Like, tell me when you're struggling. Tell me what I can do to step up. Tell me when I need to be tapped in and you have to tap out. So I think for me, that's a huge tool. And it brought us so much closer because in a way it felt like my my ugliest parts of me, my worst parts, being frustrated at this perfect, tiny, beautiful human that I am so grateful to have, but at the same time being like, feeling the guilt and shame around being like, I can't be around them right now. Like that to me was, oh my gosh, I felt so ugly. I felt like this isn't what a mom's meant to be like. You're meant to want to be cuddling your baby 24 seven. So biggest tool, being honest and open and setting yourself up with your teammate, whoever that might be. Maybe you're doing this on your own. Maybe the teammate needs to be your mom or your friend or whoever. Like establishing that before you're in it, I think is really, really important. <laughs> Second mm. is prepared meals. I know it sounds ridiculous. <laughs> prepared meals or even saving up so you have a budget for takeout. 
Like I'm being deadly serious. Like you need to nourish yourself. One of my biggest mistakes was not understanding how I needed to eat more than normal to keep up my milk supply. So I wasn't eating enough and my milk supply dropped and I was devastated. Prepare yourself with prepared meals. Also just get some formula in the house. We had to emergency rush out and just pick up anything that we could find. So it's like, get prepared. Nothing wrong with not being able to breastfeed. It's way harder than I ever imagined. My mom made it sound like it was just the easiest thing ever. She breastfed me for four years and was like, she's got these huge boobs and she's just this goddess of breastfeeding. I don't know. So again, that's, I guess, preparation. The third one would be remembering the things that brought you joy before you had a baby. Obviously, your baby is going to be the biggest joy of your life. It, it really is. He just, oh, it's just the best. But remember those things that did bring you joy before and don't lose them. One of the biggest things for me was baking. So make time for that. So don't forget the little things that bring you joy. Maybe it's going out for a walk. Maybe it's having that bubble bath or that glass of wine. Maybe it's reading your favorite book. Whatever it is, make that time for you. You have to switch off that guilt, that it just, oh, I hate that there's so much for new moms. Man, we're trying to do everything. It's so hard. The first thing that came up to me for me when you said, remember what brought you joy. It's my work. I love what I do. And I felt so much guilt mm-hmm. wanting to do work and leaving my baby. And then the other thing is like a really good girl's night out, which you also feel guilty for. But I love it. Okay. This one's from Sophie. Hey, Iskra. My name's Sophie, and I'm really amazed by all the things you do, and I'm really curious to learn a bit more about how you manage standing up for all the initiatives that you do, and what are some of the things you do in your life to help not get overwhelmed when there's so much going on in the world and so many things to talk about and stand up for. Thanks so much. What a great question. And we I guess we kind of touched on that earlier, so I'll try and be a little bit more concise. The main thing I do is I know that the work doesn't have to be visible, right? That's a huge thing that I've learned. And that gives me confidence knowing if I feel like there's 52 wildfires happening right now, I'm going to F it up if I miss one out, da 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 Sometimes you just have to donate a little bit of money. And obviously, I'm I'm very privileged to be able to do that now. I can, you know, give my money to charities. If that's what I can do, and I can just sit with that knowing that I donated, that's enough. There's other times I maybe feel like my voice might have a beneficial experience or opinion or viewpoint, then I will speak up. So mm. like I was saying earlier about the racial issues, that's something that I feel like because I am currently having experiences and going through it, that to me feels very poignant. And hopefully, and I've experienced this, you know, me and Philip were in the movie theater and we had a mixed race teenage boy come up to us and just be like, thank you for like being visible and being together. And like, it really helps for people like me. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for me, that feels like a cause that obviously is very near and dear to my heart, but it also feels like maybe something we can have a real kind of purpose and and uh, change doing. Absolutely. I found in the last few weeks, especially as I've been sitting with this myself, that I've had to just surrender a bit to the fact that I can't do everything, speak on everything, save everyone, and that the amount of anxiety it gives me and overwhelm, it's a bit crippling. 
So I've had to really ask myself, in which area can you be the most impactful? And to kind of make a bit of peace with not being able to do it all. And I think we have to also, yeah, come to peace with that because, you know, there's certain issues, obviously, that I hope everyone is aware of and and feels confident to speak up to. But I also just have grace with people that these are people's careers and people's lives. And a lot of the time, I think social media isn't taken seriously like that. And so Mm. I understand the pressure that people are under. And it's amazing. I've had influencers who have said not nice things about me in the past especially as I was initially navigating and we're talking about six seven years ago you know through the industry and I was essentially taking up a lot of space in the body acceptance movement and taking away space from more marginalized bodies and more marginalized voices and I didn't know I was really naive to it. And I'm really glad that instead of just deleting and being angry at the people calling me out, instead, I took it to direct message and I listened and I learned from them. And I understood that the body positivity movement is for more marginalized bodies, not for me. I'm part of the body acceptance movement and just Mm -hmm. learning all these different things. But yeah, you have to make peace with not being about everything because it's really hard and you just can't do it all and you have to Mm. breathe and you have to sit with it and you know what is in a way just as important being kind to your neighbor giving back donating recycling there's so many things that we can contribute just know your impact doesn't have to be visible maybe have a conversation with someone in your family and it changes their whole perspective of how they feel about themselves that's enough show up any way that you can and don't feel pressurized to do it visibly. I love that. Okay, I have a very important question for you that was asked via text from one of my friends. She wants to know if you could have one word tattooed on your ass, what would it be? (laughs) I mean, it's obviously got to be Philip. He would kill me if it was anything but Philip. I'm sure he would love that idea because it would crack us up every time. Like it would just be hysterical. And then as I'm like, my bum got wrinkly and then it would probably be like, flip. (laughs) For anyone who's listening right now, please take a screenshot of this episode, tag at Iskra, tag at Raw Beauty Talks. And tell us if you had to put one word on your ass for life, what would it be? I'm dying to know. There's going to be some good ones. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, Iskra, you are absolutely incredible. I just can't thank you enough for showing up in your body, for continuing to push through and to be the voice and the image that so many people follow needed favorite podcast. I'm in awe and share this conversation. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Benefit. Join the Raw Beauty Talks community at Raw Beauty Talks, and remember, it's your story, your body, your mind, and your journey. So think about what resonates with you and leave the rest behind. I'll see you next week. Do you ever feel like you're struggling through motherhood? You're not alone. I'm Erica Jossa, host of the MomWell podcast, therapist and mom of three. Join me each Wednesday as I sit down with guests, including psychologists, pediatricians, psychiatrists, fertility specialists, lactation consultants, and more to unravel the myths of motherhood. With expert advice, practical tips, self-love, and some coping skills to help you along the way, you can become the mother you want to be. 
Listen to the MomWell podcast at momwell.com slash listen or on your favorite podcast platform.